Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, silence in us any voice but your own that we might hear your word to us this day. For God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Psalm, the 126th Psalm. Let us listen to God's word to us this day. A song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God around us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. Psalm 126 is what is called an ascent psalm. There are a number of these in the book of Psalms that scholars believe were originally used by pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem or as a part of celebrations in Jerusalem. As one scholar writes, it is the voice of pilgrims to Jerusalem who have come to remember the restoration of Zion and seek the renewal of the people of the Lord. In this psalm, the very things that the pilgrims are remembering and rejoicing about from the past are the things that they are hoping and praying for to come true in the future. The phrase the pilgrims use about the Lord restoring the fortunes of Zion is a translation of a Hebrew idiom that means there has been a significant or radical change in God's favor from want, from wrath, sorry, to blessing. It's a massive change for the better in one's life or in the life of a people that God has brought about. The psalmist is recounting this transformation because the community has once again found itself in a place where they are petitioning God for this kind of change. At the core of this expression is trust in God, or maybe for some, a reminder to trust in God, because God has done life-alteringly amazing things and can do them again. The psalmist stings, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. This image is referring to dry riverbeds that can quickly become full after a rainstorm. As scholar J. Clinton McCann Jr. states, this image of the streams in the Negev communicates both the people's neediness and their confidence in God. The simile used here functions to convey not only the people's current dryness, but also their expectation of the life-giving deliverance of God. 
As many of you probably know, my family and I went to Chautauqua for the first time the week before last. I was there to serve as the chaplain of the Presbyterian House and to learn all about what many of you have told me time and again are the wonders of Chautauqua. The preacher for the week for the institution was the Reverend Terry Hort Owens, who is the general minister and president of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ denomination. I really enjoyed her wisdom and her faithful insights. And there was one morning in particular that Tim happened to join me for worship and Nearbat had to pick me up off the floor. She was talking about that verse, I am the vine and you are the branches, that text where Jesus weaves this beautiful metaphor of our relationship to God being like that of a grapevine. She shared that she had gone to Napa And she learned about grapevines and winemaking and related that process to what it's like to live in community. She talked about how a vine doesn't grow on its own. There needs to be at least two vines to flourish. She explained that when you drive by a vineyard, you will notice that the vines are growing on guide wires. And this is because if the vines aren't given that guidance, they'll grow into one another and harm one another. We need each other, we can't grow alone, but we can also harm each other in community. Have you ever had a bouquet of flowers that dried out on your table, she asked us, and when you went to pick them up, the leaves had become so dry and brittle that they hurt you, that they cut you? That's what we can do to each other when we are spiritually dry. That's the moment I almost fell out of my seat. It made so much sense to me. And just as I got myself calmed down and back in the pew, she spoke of the canopy of the vine, which needed to be tended, but that there was a danger that if you've spent too much time cultivating the canopy, the vine wouldn't bear good fruit. If we, in community, she emphasized, spend too much time on the things that aren't really the crux of Jesus' call to us as disciples, we won't bear good fruit either. And I almost fell out of my pew again. Now, I don't have time this morning to unpack all of this. This is not that sermon. I have a sense that sermon will come someday, but it's not today. So the short explanation of why I kept like falling out of the pew and Tim kept propping me back up is that I could feel within myself and within the church, Big C, and the communities of which I am a part and the greater world, a spiritual dryness that is cutting And I can see the canopy, the outward experience, being watered and cultivated, but not in a way that always tends to the real vulnerable dryness that is hidden within. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. Later that day, I met the author of one of my favorite books, a book that in high school changed my life, House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros. After her talk, I was the first one to the mic to ask a question, and I began to cry, surprising no one, because I was so excited to see her and to hear her voice for the first time and to hear her talk about how she sees the world and lives in it and her approach to writing, and I was overwhelmed with gratitude to be able to tell her that her book helped me to see that words could be beautiful and to touch people, me, deeply. 
and that it was possible for stories to feel tangible and authentic and steeped with such intensity of grief and ordinariness and beauty. Very different than the other books I'd been made to read, like Lord of the Flies. In response to that, she talked about how reading books was like going to the drugstore, that each book is a different prescription. And while Lord of the Flies was not my prescription, it might be someone else's. But she was glad to hear that I found the prescription I needed in her book, in her words. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. The water restored in me in those moments was so great that it was literally leaking out of my eyes. On Friday morning of that week, my parents, Tim and I, were settling into our seats at the top of the amphitheater to hear Salman Rushdie speak, when instead we witnessed a brutal attack. Within seconds, my brain realized what was happening. I calculated the danger of the situation and realized there was no way that I could get down to the floor to be of help there, so I picked up my phone and I called 911. While I was waiting for someone to pick up, I heard people shouting for medics, and so I started running toward the usher station and then out to the Presbyterian house, which is quite literally steps away, to see if there was a faster way to get medical professionals there. A staff person came to the mic and very calmly told us that we needed to evacuate quickly and quietly, and we all made our way out of the amphitheater on shaking legs. It was just a few minutes later, still shaking, that I found myself in the chapel of the Presbyterian house, circling chairs so that people could talk and process what they had just witnessed, and so we could bring our voices before God in prayer. We were sowing seeds with tears, crying out our own version of the psalmist's plea, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negev. I continue to find reasons every single day to be thankful for my experience and training as a hospital chaplain. What I learned and experienced in the core of my being and what I've held on to since then is that nothing is promised, nothing except God's love and God's presence. Not our health, not the health of our loved ones, not that we'll always live happily ever after, not that there will be, always be peace, not that we will have the employment that we need when we need it, not that addiction will never find us, or that we will somehow never be a part of the traumatic stories that we hear of in the news. None of that is promised. And that's a really uncomfortable and often unbearable truth to live with. But again and again, those painful truths give way to God's restoration. For many years in the upstairs bathroom of my house, I kept the blue Presbyterian hymnal that I was given in fifth grade by the director of the junior choir at my home church. You would know if someone had gone into my bathroom for the first time because they'd come out like, that's a weird thing to have in your bathroom. But I kept it there because I realized many years ago that I needed a prayer practice and a discipline of devotional time, and that in the 10 minutes that it takes me to blow dry my hair, on the days when I blow dry my hair, I've got nothing else to do. 
And so it started in Advent one year when the kids were little. I would sing the Advent hymns as a way of preparing and trying to keep the real importance of Christmas in my head rather than just the to-do list of gifts to buy. And then I just kept doing it. Also in our bathroom, you will find a small radio so that we can listen to NPR in the morning as we're getting ready and have a sense of what's going on in the world. This changed my hymn singing practice because I found myself called to pray on behalf of so many of the stories that I would hear over those crackling radio waves. While the hymnal has moved during COVID to my home office, I keep a small piece of paper that was an insert in a church bulletin from maybe 10 or 12 years ago of my go-to song, go-to hymn for moments when I want to pray but have a hard time finding the words. So basically the prayer I use every day. When I sing it as prayer, I tend to start with the last verse. Great liberating God, we pray for all who are oppressed. May those who long for what is right with justice now be blessed. We pray for those who mourn this day and all who suffer wrong. May seeds they water now with tears spring up into a song. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses of the Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. May we always be reminded that God is near. May we always trust that God's love, grace, and mercy are at work in our lives and in the world. May none of that stop us for standing up for justice when needed, for sitting quietly with a friend when needed, for singing songs of lament when needed, or from admitting that we do not have control and we don't always have the answers. May we find freedom and hope even in those things and even in those moments. And may we each point out to one another the seeds which were watered with tears springing up into a song. Alleluia and amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.